love that image. You know, as a church on a mission, it's really important for us to know uh, whether we are actually accomplishing that mission or whether we're maybe getting off target a little bit. So if you were at the gathering a couple of weeks ago, uh, you actually heard me tell a story about a friend of mine in junior high who uh, scored a basket for the opposing team. And this was really, really embarrassing for him. Of course, we made it even more embarrassing because we wouldn't let it die forever, right? <laughs> what are friends for? Uh, but not only can it be really embarrassing, but it can be very costly to not know what basket or what target you're shooting at. In fact, in 2004, Matt Emmons was in the lead at the Olympics in the 50-meter three-position rifle competition. And his lead was so big that all he had to do on the last target was just hit the target anywhere, just nick the paper, and he wins the gold medal. And so he slides into his final uh, lane of target, and he, and he lifts his rifle, and he steadies himself, and he exhales, and he pulls the trigger, and he gets another bullseye. And he's waiting for these lights to light up, and he's going to win the gold medal, and the lights don't come on. And he's thinking, well, the, the target must be broken. There must be something wrong with the target. So he waits a little longer. No lights. And the officials come up and they inform him that while standing in lane three, Emmons had somehow managed to hit a bullseye of the target in lane two. It cost him not only the gold medal, it cost him any medal. He failed to place in the Olympics. Yeah, not knowing what target you're shooting at can be costly. It can also be costly in the church. And that's why we're in this series, taking the first few weeks of the fall to talk about what is our target and what are our missional marks, right? the set of marks that help us determine whether we're actually helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And I called these marks at the gathering the five loves. And they represent exactly what we're shooting at, what we want to see present and growing in the life of the church, in the life of those who are on mission with us as the mission is accomplished. And what's more, Jesus said these, these loves, these five loves are really the measure of the life that God wants for us and the life really that we all want for ourselves. So these five marks are as follows. It's first of all to be loved, right? Receive God's love and live as his beloved children. Out of this, all the other marks flow. So the next love is to love God back. Right? Ed talked about this last week. He came and taught about this. And it's a life of obedience, a life of worship, a life of thanksgiving to God. And then to love yourself. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. The fourth love, to love your neighbors. And the fifth love, to even love your enemies. And achieving these missional marks is not something that we do out of our own power, our own strength. It's only possible when we actually live out of the overflow of God's love for us. When we, like that big bucket in the video, when we put ourselves under that constant flow of God's love. And that bucket just gets filled up until it starts to tip. And then the kids come running, right, because they can't resist that big splash. That's how we're supposed to live into and out of God's love for us. And this morning, we're focusing on love ourselves. How do we love ourselves? Now, I want you to know, even if you're not on mission with Orchard Hill Church or you're not a follower of Jesus, there are lots of benefits to loving yourself. 
In fact, research suggests that if we would be as kind to ourselves as we are to a good friend, we would be healthier and happier. And if you would just, uh, if we would just accept ourselves the way um, God accepts us, and we would have a better uh, chance of actually accomplishing our personal health goals. Uh, you have, you actually lower your risk of depression or other mental health issues. You procrastinate less. And you're better equipped to overcome adversity. And for some of you who are like hoping to attract a lover, you actually have a better chance when you love yourself of attracting somebody who's healthy and somebody who loves well. There are lots of good reasons, other reasons as well, that research suggests loving yourself is important. For followers of Jesus, the best reason is because Jesus promises us abundant life if we will follow him. And then one of the experts of the law asked Jesus, said, what's, the, what's the greatest command for us to follow in order to discover this life? Jesus actually included in his answer, loving ourselves. This is what Jesus replied. He says this in Matthew 22, verse 37, 40. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So long before any social scientists discovered the benefits of loving ourselves, Jesus said it's mission critical in order to live a full life. Jesus actually expects his followers to love themselves. And he says loving yourself is the standard by which you love others. Somehow loving others is tied to how well we love ourselves. This is so important. And yet it's also very difficult for so many of us. In fact, instead of loving ourselves, many of us often neglect ourselves. Or worse yet, we may reject ourselves. It might start with a, with a message of rejection coming from somewhere outside of you that starts to seep into your life. Maybe your mom and dad missed that really important game. Or maybe your friends abandoned you at some point in your life. Or maybe for some of you, you, you weren't good enough to make the team. Or you weren't good enough to land that job. First day of fourth grade, I actually transferred schools. And so my teacher, my fourth grade teacher, gave me a new buddy who was supposed to kind of help me meet some other kids that were in the school and, and help me to transition into this new school. And first recess of the first day of school, my new best buddy punches me in the mouth. I may or may not have politely called him a loudmouth bucktooth beaver, kindly asking him to refrain from talking so loud as we argued about a penalty on one of our teams. But nevertheless, I, I suddenly, like for the first time, felt this rejection. And like I was, I learned quickly, like if I'm, if I'm going to make friends around here, I'm going to have to learn how to prove myself. And there'd be many more wounds of, of rejection throughout my elementary years and junior high and high school years. And every criticism that I would receive started to feel like a, like a permanent personal defect in me. Even innocent comments I would interpret 
as some great error about myself. I became envious of others. I became extremely critical of myself. Frustration often turned to anger. And then I started to learn how to develop some perfectionist tendencies so that I could eliminate criticism altogether. I became a people pleaser. And acceptance of myself became largely dependent on others' acceptance of me. All the classic signs of self-rejection. I wonder if any of you have experienced any of these. Or maybe some of the other signs, like a fear of failure or addictions. Or maybe hiding behind some mask or public image that you have created for others to see you through. Self-rejection is one of the most dangerous traps in life. It turns us inward and our self-centeredness keeps us from loving others and it robs us of the life that God wants for us to experience. Henry Nouwen says this about it. He says, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the Beloved. One of the greatest mistakes we can make is to fail to love ourselves. To help us avoid this trap, I want to suggest this morning three ways for us to love ourselves as Jesus commanded. And the first one is this, to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. I was working at KWWL a number of years ago. And uh, I had just gotten off the air, I had just done anchoring a sports segment, and I walked into the sports office, and the phone rings. And this guy on the other side of the, on the other end of the phone, he says, hey, uh, I want to lodge a complaint. I said, okay, go ahead, I'll, I'll make sure to pass it, on, pass it along. He says, well, it's about Jeff Mickey. <laughs> I'm like, this ought to be good. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. It's a pause, and he says, it's his ears. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what about his ears? And he says, they're huge. And at this point, I'm trying not to laugh. And then the other part of me is like saying, no, they're not. They just stick out a long ways from his head. And he's sitting next to Rick Coleman, who's got the teeniest, tiniest baby ears in the world. And I didn't say any of that. I just said, "Uh, thank you. I'll be sure to let him know. And I hung up. And I decided not to tell him. You know, when we see ourselves through the eyes of the world's values of, of beauty or of talent or of power or of wealth, we will always fall short. And instead of discovering love, we discover shame or disappointment. And in our nakedness, we begin to hide like Adam and Eve hid. Right? Or, we, or we develop these masks or these roles, or maybe we puff ourselves up with ego. Or we just accept ourselves and we start to believe that we're just not good enough. Or maybe even that we're bad. And we're not only afraid to love ourselves, but we're afraid to allow ourselves to be our true selves and to flourish. I think the way we change this is to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. How often do you stop to consider what God thinks of you? What does He see when He looks at you? And from the first book in the Bible to the last book, I think God 
is telling us exactly what He sees in us. In the creation story, read, read this. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. When God looks at us, He sees His own likeness. A likeness that was meant to rule over all the creatures of the earth. And by the way, when He finished creating man, what did He say? He said, it is very good. And the Psalms echo this sentiment throughout the Psalms. David says this in Psalm 139. He says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. David declares that God handcrafts us. He makes us unique. He knows how you are uniquely created. Which means He knows your specific needs better than anyone else. He knows how to fulfill them. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And yes, when God looks at you, He sees your sinfulness. We can't forget that. Paul tells us, he says, we all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And yet when God sees our sin, He still loves us. And He demonstrates His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When God looks at us, He sees our sin, and yet He still loves us. And John declares that all who have received Him, those who believe in the name of Jesus, He has given the right to become God's children. And Paul adds, now if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Which means He sees us as worthy to not only suffer as Jesus did, but to inherit the same glory that Jesus inherits. God sees all who puts their trust in Jesus for the, for the forgiveness of their sins, for the work He did on the cross as His own beloved children. Dave Bartlett, a number of years ago, asked me, what does it mean to you that, to know that God believes in you? I'm like, don't you mean that I have faith in God? What does my faith mean? He goes, no. What does it mean to you that God believes in you? And I had to think about this for a little bit. And I realized this is the truth of the Scripture. This is how God sees us. Or He sees us as citizens of heaven. He sees us holy and blameless when we are in Christ. Chosen ambassadors, servants, saints, the light of the world. And we can choose to listen to the voices in the world that tell us we're not good enough. We can choose to listen to the voices in our own head of shame or of ego. Or we can fight to listen to the truth in God's Word about who we are and about how He sees us. And allow us to soak in that 
And when we do, we see that God accepts us as His own and He believes in us. And then we can start to see ourselves this way, accept ourselves, and then we can see others and accept others the same way God accepts us. And maybe we can come to the same conclusion and declare with John, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God accepts us as His own. See yourself as God sees you. That's the first step to to loving ourselves and setting the right standard for loving others. The second mark, forgive yourself as God forgives you. And knowing that God accepts us as we are ought to eliminate any fear of punishment and, and allow us to bring our failures to Him so He can start to turn our wrongs to right. And yet as John Ortberg points out, if there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in His loving longing to forgive. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how God longs to forgive you? How He yearns for it? A friend of mine recently had some sin in his life exposed. He'd been so terrified that his friends and people who he considered important in his life were going to discover this sin that he had hid it and kind of kept it private. He'd bought into this lie that that he was the only one struggling with sin and that as a Christian, he shouldn't be struggling with sin. It was torturing him. His heart was growing distant from God, distant from others. It was numb. He just wasn't feeling anything anymore. But once that sin was exposed... and he brought it to light and he accepted responsibility for it, the sin lost its power over him. He was actually able to start to receive God's forgiveness and to start to begin to work on forgiving himself. And one of the things that keeps us from this and accepting God's forgiveness, I believe, is, is this fear that somehow we're going to be exposed for who we really are. And God might look at us, he might see some good in us, but there's also this wickedness in us. And God's going to want to punish me for that. We're afraid, so we, so we keep it hidden. I heard a powerful story a few weeks ago that reminded me just how much God longs to forgive us. I want you to take a look at this short video. A bad guy was in my dream. Bad guy was in your dream, and then and then what did the what happened to the bad guy? God helped me. God helped you. How did God help you? He's my hero. He's your hero. Yeah, what did God do? Um, God come and save my wife, and the God God loved the bad guy. God came and saved your life. And God loved the bad guy. He loved the monster. He loved the monster. That's awesome. What a simple, sweet little story. The first time Neil told it, he told it to our, Neil's a leader of our, our board here at church, and he told it to the board. And he said that when uh, Evie's dad walked in, in the middle of this nightmare, that um, he asked Evie what happened, and, and she said there was this bad guy, and, and Tyler's first question was, well, did you take him out? 
She said, no, God helped me. And then, and then mom, of course, asked in the morning, well, what did God do? How did God help you? And she said that, that we didn't see in the video with this, Evie's expression was like, duh, mom. He loved the bad guy. God loves bad guys. Right? That's the truth. God longs to forgive even the worst of us bad guys. He loves us. He's the God of second chances. We see God's loving longing to forgive us in the stories in the Bible. We, see, we read about it in the story of the prodigal son. Right, the minute that the son turns to come from home and the father sees him, he runs out to embrace his son. We see God's longing to forgive and, and to keep no record of wrongs in the incredible love story in the book of Hosea. And we see God's longing to forgive that restores sinners in the stories of David, a murderer and an adulterer. We read about it in the story of Peter, who denies Jesus three times. But we mostly hear about God's loving longing to forgive us in the whisper of the cross. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. To give, forgive ourselves as God forgives us, we have to let this whisper of God's perfect love cast out all fear of punishment, all fear of shame, right, so that we can get real with ourselves and with God. We are not perfect people who sometimes mess things up. We are broken, imperfect people who occasionally, through God's Spirit, do good things. We have to embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly and be honest with ourselves before God. And confession may not be necessary for receiving God's forgiveness, but it's an incredible way to actually experience the forgiveness of God. So I encourage you to confess and come before God. We love ourselves by seeing ourselves as God sees us, by forgiving ourselves as God forgives us, and number three, by caring for ourselves as God cares for us. And Jesus gives us the best picture, right, of how God cares for us with His compassion, with His mercy, with His grace. He teaches, He heals, He forgives, He blesses, He restores. He's the counselor. He's the shepherd. He's the advocate for us with the Father. He promises that anything we ask for in His name, He will give to us. And then this great promise that we sang about this morning, one of my favorite promises, that yes, I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. I spoke at the gathering about how Jesus was a master of paying attention to the way God was always present, always active to care for us, and how Jesus would see it in the way He cared for the birds of the air. How the birds had no worries in the world because they knew that God would feed them. And how the fields were just clothed in flowers richer than anything that Solomon ever wore. And if God cares for these, how much more does He care for us? More than we can even begin to imagine. John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And there are countless moments every day where God is trying to help us be satisfied in Him. Just pouring out His love. We'll pay attention to what He's doing. My son Lewis had a practicum in Chicago this summer. A practicum with the Chicago Blackhawks. And if you know my son, who loves sports, this was like an amazing gift of God to be able to go do this. 
He came back for a wedding one weekend on a Saturday, and then this next Sunday morning, I had to drive him back to Chicago and get back Sunday night, and I had just gotten off the road from 12 hours a day, like the day before, and so I'm like, oh man, I gotta drive now, another 10, 11 hours in Chicago and drive him back. And my son Eli says, well, I'll go with you, I'll keep you company, and keep me awake on the way back. And uh, so I said, okay, well, you understand, we're just driving in and turning around and driving right back. Yeah, yeah. So we drive over and drop my son off and... We said, okay, well, it's too nice a day. Let's just at least walk down by the lake. So we walked to the lake, and then we're walking back. We said, well, let's get something to eat while we're here. So we called Lewis to meet us, and we uh, stopped in at a Lou Malnati's pizza place. Oh, yeah, somebody already said it. If you have not had Lou Malnati's pizza, deep dish, let me just tell you, mm, miraculous. This might be the best food this side of heaven. I'm not kidding. I love pizza. This is the best pizza ever. And I mean, it was just like, God was like, here's the best care package I can give you as you're driving all this way today. And just, just receive. And my son and I was just like, we love, it was so awesome. God is working every day in unique ways to love us, right? It's like, I'll go out for a run and I'll get caught in a warm summer rain. I love that. It's like just this huge gift. Or when I haven't seen my daughter, you know, she's at college now, and I, and, I, and I see her for the first time in a few weeks, and I get to get a hug from my daughter. Or when I get to see my son light up, when he lights somebody up on the football field. Or that taste of chocolate-dipped black raspberry ice cream from Four Queens. These are all little gifts that God is pouring out in endless ways every day for us and when we when we recognize them and give thanks for them we not only find satisfaction in him right but we find a sense of peace and god is actually glorified in us through that it's amazing caring for yourself is largely about looking for and enjoying the ways god is caring for you every day and yes sometimes it's very hard to see Sometimes God's hard to find. One of the things that's helping me with this, I've been experimenting for the last year and a half or so with this idea of Sabbath, this other gift from God. So on Fridays, about 5 or 6 o'clock, afternoon or evening, I just I step away from work. I step away from any email. I don't answer my phones. I create some time and space for some silence or some solitude. I might be go on some walks with my wife. I eat some good food. Maybe I'll even sleep in a little bit late on a Saturday. On, on, uh, in the fall, during football season, home games in Iowa City, I actually go down to Iowa City. I run a camera for the Hawkeyes. People say, well, that sounds like work. And it's like, yeah, but it just restores my soul. It just refreshes me and renews me. Even when they get a win in Ames, it just renews me. <laughs> Sorry, great game, Cyclone fans. The Sabbath is a great way to... to Start a rhythm of paying attention to God and to what He's doing in our lives. And I can sure tell when it's been a while since I've had some Sabbath. And we care for ourselves also by largely as we uh, make room for God to speak truth into our lives. And we've got great strategies to that. Worshiping God here this morning to allow God to speak into you as we sing songs of praise. Belonging in community, investing in others, engaging in the Bible. Loving ourselves flows out of this flow of God's love for us. But if being the beloved is no more for you than a a nice idea or some mantra, 
like Stuart Smalley. You guys remember, some of you remember Stuart Smalley back in the 80s or 90s on Saturday Night Live? Have people like Michael Jordan look in the mirror and say things like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If that's all this is, we are no better off. And we keep ourselves in the flow of God's love for us by seeing ourselves as God sees us, by forgiving ourselves as God forgives us, and by caring for ourselves as God forgives us. And then do the same for others. Let's pray. Father, sometimes this uh, business of loving ourselves uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. We have an easier time, I think, loving other people than actually loving ourselves. Uh, maybe we feel weird about it, or maybe we just feel so distant, or we feel so much shame or so much disappointment or unworthy. Lord, I pray that you would clear those hurdles. I pray that you would help us to fight through the voices in our head or the voices from outside of us and to hear your voice speaking the truth of your love for us. Help us to actually see ourselves the way you see us. To put this into action that it would free us up, Lord, and, and raise the standard for how we go about loving others. Or that we would see a great impact flow from your love to us to others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.